0: it seemed very obvious early on what that why was gonna be driven by. And it was our ability to hopefully help the community in, in some way, shape or form be safer.
1: This is the day that changed everything. A podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learned how they navigated their way back. If all great changes are preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. This is not business as usual. Now more than ever, the Norway Savings Business Lending Team is here to help make sure you're still able to do what you do. But let's face it, this is not an easy time. We will get through it together. It's a great comfort seeing the business community in Maine rallying around one another. It's our job to rally around you. Norway Savings. Live your life in color.
2: Hi, this is Maureen Milliken of Maine Biz, and this is Maine Biz's podcast, The Day That Changed Everything. Today we're here with Topher Mallory of Split Rock Distilling, Mexicali Blues. And Topher, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do?
0: Thank you for this opportunity. I am I'm a Mainer these days. My wife and I moved here about fifteen ish years ago and we are raising our two little girls in Midcoast Maine, which is a wonderful place to be. I've been CEO of Mexicali Blues during those 15 years, which has been an incredible journey. And I'm Co-founder of Split Rock Distilling, Maine's first and still only organic distillery. I co-founded this with a dear friend, Matt Page, six and a half so years ago. And about two plus years ago, we acquired Royal Rose Organic syrups and mixes. It's also mm. a certified organic brand and now one that we house and make from scratch in our distillery here in Newcastle, Maine.
2: And what does Mexicali Blues sell for people who aren't familiar with it?
0: Mexicali Blues sells a unique branded lifestyle offering of clothing, jewelry, and just cool stuff. All
2: right. How many um stores do you have in Maine right now?
0: Six locate, oh, actually. Five locations. We just consolidated our two Portland stores into Mm -hmm. one large store on commercial. Uh -uh. We have brick-and-mortar stores throughout Maine, and we have our warehouse and offices with our e-commerce operation also here in Newcastle, Maine, which makes this crazy juggling act possible.
2: And so you were distilling and syrup making and retail selling and going along and everything was going great and then the weekend of march 14th came along why don't you tell us what happened
0: seems like years ago with everything that has happened (laughs) between then and now for us at split rock to really go backwards it's it's always been to go back in time it's always been about the why and that's where this the story of learning to make hand sanitizer and quite literally doing it overnight started when the pandemic began here in Maine. It really wasn't here as much as it was affecting our medical system out of the gate. And states that had already been overwhelmed had run out of PPE, including sanitizer. And a few distilleries had started using ethyl alcohol as a substitute for isopropyl, which is usually the active ingredient. Both Matt and I personally started fielding an incredible amount of phone calls. And this was around 13th, 14th of March, maybe even a little earlier. And it seemed very obvious early on what that why was going to be driven by. And it was our ability to hopefully help the community in in some way, shape or form be safer. The how I'm sure we're gonna get into in all sorts of different ways, but we literally took everything we had time, energy, resources, material, relationships, and put it all to work. As entrepreneurs, we, we worked around the clock and we're lucky in that there are two of us at Split Rock and we both share this this common drive to to be makers and focused on again that why trying to trying to make something from scratch and then best way we possibly can. But we specialize in different things. We understand the business well and can hop into different roles, but usually we can focus on our own specialty or responsibility and run simultaneously, which is a huge advantage in a situation like this. And we also had these two businesses. We had Split Rock, which was a distillery that could make the alcohol that was was now in demand and we had royal rose which gave us a lot of redundancy we had bottling equipment and labeling equipment that we could increase how much we could make and we also had smaller bottles which I'll I'll get to but that was a big part of of this was what we had on hand when everything overnight became near impossible to find so both businesses being housed in the same facility our little red barn on route 1 was another interesting happenstance that in 2018, we had really run out of space, A pretty classic and all too obvious, probably for the outsider to see business problem, but we were just grinding away. And all of a sudden we noticed we were just moving things to move things to move things and then doing something and then moving a bunch of stuff again And 2019, We undertook a year-long build-out of our distillery that tripled the size of the facility in January-ish of 2020 this year. We opened the breezeway between this new expansion and our old barn and started for the first time using the space. And it would be just a few weeks later in March that we took full advantage of that space, really visually problem-solving and reconfiguring every system and using it to both compound bottle and eventually even right from the distillery distribute directly to both consumers businesses and hospitals and medical outfits
2: in conjunction with all this, when Maine kind of shut down, what level of shutdown did you have to do with your businesses and what happened with your employees? Where were you at when you started thinking of making the sanitizer?
0: Oh, this is, it still raises the hair on my arms. I, it was such an intense experience and you know, I think about my career often or I, I try to in this linear prog- progression and it's it's near impossible. It is more of a juggling act and I balanced my time between two very significant companies now and during this period I worked around the clock and uh, I'll start with a joke and it was my wife saying although you were physically around our house more you've never been so unavailable or so absent (laughs) which I at the time I relied on an old school method. I used a Franklin Covey physical day planner and I would (laughs) split up my days as best I could. And for most of March and April, I would pretty consistently work six or even seven days a week from 6 a.m. sometimes to as late as midnight. And in mid-March at Mexicali Blues, I looked back at my day planner before starting this uh, interview with you and uh, the notes were were just one after another about different metrics and KPIs that we use and noticing trends that consumers were shopping less. And the writing was was on the wall, which we also were listening to our employees in regular meetings. And March 16th, proactively, we said that we would be closing all of our stores and we would take it on a week by week, but that we had no Projected opening date or reopening date. We wanted to emphasize with everybody that we weren't going anywhere, but we were going to be as safe and as proactive and try and be as scientific about this as we could. So that was over a week before Janet Mill's announcement, which I think landed on the 24th or a little later in March where everything was officially mandated. Right. Yeah, so we just tried to follow both what we saw with employees and consumers, as well as what we saw the state doing, and we just wanted to to be on on the front side of this, if that was even possible. And with Split Rock, we did the same thing, and it quickly became very evident that sanitizer would enable us to keep our team employed and creating a new product. We'll circle back to in a minute, but as Janet Mills closed all non-essential businesses, distilleries were deemed essential. And Mm -hmm. from all corners of main healthcare, we were talking about how we could do this. And on March 25th, I think it was the FDA gave distilleries the green light. And they also laid out how to actually make sanitizer. So we had seen a few other distilleries doing this in states like New York and the distilling world small. So we'd been talking with them and we had laid out a few of of the pieces, some legal aspects, some approvals that would be needed and we understood how to compound it. But with the FDA approval, the project came down really to three main hurdles and it was making the liquid or the sanitizer, packaging it, which was incredibly hard because of all the shortages and lack of shipping and the pause that the entire world was under, and then finally was how to safely deliver it to those that needed it.
2: And I think on that note, this is a good time to take a break, to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll find out how you dealt with all that and what happened.
0: Remember why you went into business? You can say to fulfill a dream or change the world, but I'll bet the real reason you went into business was to make money. So how are you doing? And would you like to do better? Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications has been helping main businesses better do what they were built to do make money by reaching audiences, catching eyes and ears, and helping them make the sale. Worth a phone call? Find Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications online at SutherlandWeston.com. We pulled a truck as close as we could to the distillery, kept it running and ran an extension cord from a pickup truck to run our register. And it was just every time we thought, you know, we've done all these other things that we have gotten this far and this many people are here, we, we've just got to deliver. And we just always, we found a way to do it.
2: So you were talking about um, your points to make sanitizer. At Split Rock. The FDA has approved it. The healthcare industry, as I understand, was clamoring for it, but there were shortages and other issues. So, how did you overcome those hurdles and how long did it take and what happened?
0: It was an incredibly fast turnaround for a couple reasons. The actual timeline for us was less than 14 days from committing to doing this, to delivering our first batch to an end consumer. And as we left for the commercial break, I was mentioning the three big hurdles. And the first one was just making the alcohol, which although we had some on hand, we needed to understand the formulation, which the FDA clearly set a best practice of 80% ethyl alcohol 1.45% glycerol and 0.125% hydrogen peroxide. I'm pretty sure I will never forget those numbers. (laughs) And the remaining amount is distilled water. So there were people doing other things at this time. And we, like we have always with Split Rock said, we're not going to take a shortcut. We will provide the 80%, 60 or 70% might allow us to make more of this. It might even allow us to make more money. But Why would we, in a situation like this, do anything that would jeopardize this stuff not serving its purpose, which at that point was really just the medical industry was who was asking for it. We thought that was where we could provide the. The biggest impact in our community. And of course, we'd go on to do as much as we could to consumers. So, on the ethyl alcohol, we had some on hand, and we are one of very few distilleries in Maine I think four or five that make vodka from scratch. A lot of people will buy a base at a really high proof because vodka, you have to take it to 95% alcohol before you add water and proof it down. Ironically, the FDA guidelines have the exact same requirement. You have to start with 190 proof or 95% ethyl alcohol. So most stills won't rectify to this level, at least not easily. And we had some on hand because we were making vodka. And we also pretty much just turned the still on around the clock and we started fermenting both corn and sugar and turning it into high proof alcohol. So we had that. The other two ingredients posed some real problems in making the actual liquid sanitizer. We had never bought glycerol and certainly never bought peroxide in these kinds of volumes. And glycerol commonly used for soap and sold in a lot of co-ops. We had relationships through our organic syrups with a number of co-ops and Matt got in the car and literally drove around Maine. Buying everything from a few ounces to a couple gallons of glycerol anywhere that would sell it to us.
2: And now Matt is, you may have mentioned his name. Can you just tell us who? Absolutely.
0: Matt's? Matt Page co founded Split Rock with me, both a, a dear friend and integral part of this story. We both were incredibly motivated by the situation and as well as just, you know, we had this business and all demand had stopped overnight. So keeping our employees in jobs, and we have a few of them now. So he ran finding glycerol and I did the same thing with peroxide. And as I called pharmacies and grocers, I couldn't find it anywhere. This was definitely something that got hoarded, maybe not as much mm. as toilet paper right. or uh, running alcohol, but It was nowhere to be found and it dawned on me at some point that I had seen it in Rennie's and I know Adam Rennie and Mary-Kate and John and their warehouse is only a mile or so as the crow flies from our distillery on Route 1. So I called them. They were also closed at this point and the Rennie's family literally drove around personally and pulled off of store shelves anything and everything they had and in late March when it was nearly impossible to get anything bulk, we had pallets of peroxide, and it was an incredible partnership, and they still sell our sanitizer in store, which makes it available to a broader audience, which has been a neat sort of final chapter of this, hopefully, but making the sanitizer, at least in the first few weeks, would have not been possible without the support of local co-ops and the support of Rennie's. It was awesome to be able to do this. I know that even the University of Maine, who we were talking with a lot during this time, was we had glycerol and peroxide before they did. Um, We all eventually moved on to buying these things in bulk, but the packaging is the next chapter and that we had a lot of smaller units of glass in our warehouse from Royal Rose. So we used small 16 ounce glass containers and we put our first batch together for consumers. And this was in an effort to just make sure we could do it. We didn't want to get ahead of ourselves and commit to producing for a hospital until we knew we could we could successfully make a batch
2: right and Uh, and can I just ask about the bottles obviously you didn't have the kind of pump bottles for sanitizer that people are used to did it immediately become clear hey our bottles will work for this or was there some head scratching involved and what are we going to put this stuff in
0: There was a lot of head scratching and it was very obvious we didn't have the perfect solution and we tried to communicate as best we could to consumers in our entrepreneurial voice that you're going to have to use some entrepreneurial ingenuity (laughs) on your own. And we told everyone in that first curbside delivery where we were contact free but talking with everybody over the phone saying this is in a tamper sealed glass bottle but it does not have a pump or a spray. If you happen to have an old pump bottle, it will work. Our sanitizer is liquid, so it works better in a spray. And most people had an old Windex bottle or something that they could clean out, and we offered free labels, so to make sure that everyone was safe and had Mm. the proper marking. And from there, we were off, so to speak, to the races and distribution in that first batch was direct to consumer. And we used some of our e-commerce, my e-commerce experience from Mexicali and retooled our website overnight and had people pre-buy so that we did not exceed what we had. And we looked at simple models that were tried and true, like a pharmacy drive-through and looked at it, tried to recreate it to the best of our ability. And in March and April in Maine, it it was easy ups and handmade signs. And we refined this process with each passing week, but I'll never forget curveballs Like the day that the power went out and there's mm. about a foot of snow on the ground. And we had line of cars out to route one and we pulled a truck as close as we could to the distillery, kept it running and ran an extension cord from oh. a pickup truck to run our register. And it was just, Every time we thought, you know, if we've done all these other things, if we have gotten this far and this many people are here, we've just got to deliver. And we just always, we found a way to do it.
2: You know, you were doing the retail, but you had bigger customers too, right?
0: We did. so immediately after that first batch, we started working with the University of Maine. And in that relationship, we first were providing for the University of Maine. And then eventually we were one of the few that was providing direct to hospitals. And we were doing that in much larger containers. And a lot of them we already had or the university helped us provide. So in that distribution channel, it was not ounces, it was gallons and oftentimes hundreds of gallons that were being provided. But there were plenty of hiccups along the way. And we had early orders from the U.S. Postal Service and some companies, as well as ambulance services and first responders. And in each of those, it was a wide variety of solutions from people coming and picking up. The U.S. Postal Service could just come pick up. But a lot of people couldn't, and they'd send employees and personal vehicles. And Sanitizer is not a light product especially when you're dealing with many gallons Mm. of it so we did our best to continue to adapt contact free ways, and always had good safety protocols in-house and we keeping up with demand I would say was was one of the the harder pieces of the puzzle and at the distillery there were a lot of weeks when this really tested our team and we always tried to be as resilient and understanding as we could in both matt and i knew that our team's health was was absolutely critical to our future it certainly was a a lot of listening and a lot of learning on the fly and as other businesses reopened and there was some maybe not light at the end of the tunnel but there there was a a, you know other people providing for the community in other ways I, i think we also look to them and, and saw how they were doing things. We learned some other lessons there too, which was nice.
2: So your team, your staff, everybody had to, I assume, learn new skills and new ways of doing things. There must have been a learning curve. And how did people respond to that?
0: Everyone differently. Certainly a loaded question. And
2: mm. I didn't we, mean uh, it to be loaded. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think everything is sort of a loaded question these days. Uh, with with the sanitizer, as you know, we ramped up production and businesses reopened. One of the things that we saw was you know, different bottling configurations, and that was one of those things I was just alluding to that we learned from. And we started challenging some of our packaging channels to provide for us. So we now, of course, have a spray bottle, and, and we have larger containers with drip-free spouts, and we've evolved quite quite a bit. And some of that were cues from employees. Some of it was asked for from consumers. And during this, you know, our other businesses, our core businesses the making of alcohol and the making of organic syrups came back online. We had been filling direct to consumer e-commerce orders through splitrockdistilling.com and royalrosesyrups.com. And the state of Maine, although we cannot ship our alcohol, other states were involved with can. So those states were we were shipping larger distribution size um, amounts to, but we were also allowed, due to some changes in uh, the laws and the regulations from Bablo, to provide curbside. So we all learned how to offer in an order to an ambulance and then one car later be talking with you know someone who was on their way home from work perhaps and was buying bourbon and cardamom clove syrup or something like that i mean the juxtaposition of those two and and how employees learned the the different ways i mean when when you're in the tasting room it's a lot about providing an experience and showing someone how you make something And, and when you drive up and buy a bottle of top shelf organic bourbon you still want that Mm. and an ambulance well they want sanitizer (laughs) and they want it in a clean contact-free way and they have some place very important they're headed next and they don't want to spend a lot of time there so that was probably the biggest balancing act or why I say that was a bit of a loaded question even though it sort of seems simple as I say (laughs) it but in the moment I know our employees that that was different to say the least.
2: Okay, on that note, we'll take another commercial break, and we'll be right back.
1: Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org.
0: This moment, one of the things I have pulled on is past experiences where it hasn't always gone as planned. Having a worst case scenario is is a key part of planning.
2: Okay, we're back with Topher Mallory of Mexicali Blues and Split Rock Distilling. Before we get into the what your big takeaways are from this. I did want to mention, I love the the Rennie's connection and the way that they kind of jumped to helping you guys out when they were probably, I know they had to close all their stores for a while and were probably having challenges of their own. And that feels to me like such a main thing. You know, you guys are in the same town or adjacent towns, but that this other business would immediately respond? And do you feel that there's that kind of community connection between the other businesses you deal with and your other partners in this?
0: Yes. I mean, one of the big things at the distillery that has always inspired us back to that why piece is the relationships between organic farms and between our community and some of the things we don't sell we take all of our spent grain and we give it to organic farms in the area specifically straws farm down the road from us which uses 99 percent of our spent grain and fruit and mash and they feed cows and pigs and use some bit of it for on-field compost and there's just this full circle aspect to our community and the Rennie's piece hits on it perfectly, but it's something that we've always drawn on, we always look forward to, we always try and participate in And I'm not sure if it's trying to have good karma or trying to be in that tide that lifts all boats. There's a number of ways you can look at it, but I do believe that that was not an anomaly, although it was an incredible moment and one that I wouldn't have expected.
2: I love that. Bigger picture. Now that we're, I have trouble with math, but I think we're six or seven months into this and, you know, it's not over. That said, what kind of things are you taking away from this? Maybe things that will have an impact on your businesses going forward, even when things get back to whatever normal is going to be?
0: I've got a handful of takeaways for sure from these last few months and Being an entrepreneur is certainly more of a journey than I would have expected, and it's always packed with highs and lows, and and these last few months, they've been amplified, and the highs have been incredible, and the lows have been really tragic to endure, and no one ever wants to talk about those failures, but in this moment, one of the things I have pulled on is past experiences where it hasn't always gone as planned, and having a worst-case scenario is is a key part of planning. And in my opinion, you should own when that worst case scenario plays out. And having to furlough even one employee for me seemed like a failure. And I know it it was out of my hands in some capacity. But in all companies, a lesson and something I will do differently is to hold larger reserves of not just cash, but of of value-add projects. But knowing what each company needs another lesson. And like, I will know if that's the right, which one of those strategies is right based on the KPIs, the key performance indicators that we've used for years. And it was what let me know that it was time to shut down a store for a period of time. And it's also what will, and has driven projections and been critical to modeling our finances and our budgets for, both companies, and for me, I, I have to have multiple scenarios. And through this, we've—it's been an integral part of gracefully pivoting the companies—is to have that worst case, have some version of what's happening today, and then have the well, if it is doing really well and improving, how would we scale or do more? And so that finance piece, although most people, it probably is a bit cringe-worthy to mm. talk about. If you're not a finance person, I think that's a, a, a really incredibly important lesson is that that is something that I'll always make sure is 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 up to snuff. If you're thinking about starting a, a company, I think a lesson for me and something I've never spent more time thinking about is the why. Mm. If it keeps you up at night, do it. Just, <laughs> just do it. Yeah. And if I was to distill that process down, I heard a a friend chris brogan once say it as play hack program and if i use the sanitizer as an example to explain that play means you you race just as fast as you can to get something to market if you're uh, us in that moment that was the first batch of sanitizer if you have a secret recipe it might just be making it for a friend and seeing their expression and then the, the hacking part that well hey they really liked the recipe or it was very obvious we could make sanitizer and there was a demand. So next up for us was finding containers. Maybe once we ran out of them, continuing to look outside of our normal distribution channels, it was developing the curb side, refining the process, hacking it like someone would hack a computer program. And then last up programming is that's where you scale. And for sanitizer, this was providing for healthcare and USPS and shipping direct to consumer. And And it also can be slowing down and it doesn't just have to be programming right now. Certainly the demand for sanitizer is sluggish and we'll continue to keep a reserve and make sure that we could provide in an emergency scenario for a hospital, but we'll also not be left with a lot of sanitizer. I don't think we'll ever competitively offer sanitizer Mm. knowing (laughs) that our core ingredient is expensive top shelf organic alcohol against whoever is making it inexpensively. Personally, I I would say creating something solely as one person isn't something I have a lot of experience in. And the camaraderie between Matt and I, or Pete and Kim, the Erskins who founded Mexicali Blues and are heavily involved, These relationships and the resilient teams that have been built with them, and listening to teams, listening to your employees, creating regular, healthy meetings. It's all too easy to disregard meetings when things are going well, Mm. it's all (laughs) too easy. And right now, weekly meetings, as much as people joke around about, we're about to find out, you know, what, what meetings could have been emails and all these memes that circulated weekly meetings to me are something that have just evolved. And we spend more time celebrating personal wins and looking at how the health of the organization is as we do communicating business specifics around things. So team morale is absolutely critical. And. With that, I I would just say I would wrap it all up and maybe my most important lesson is just always understanding the why in this moment in time, understanding why you do something isn't just exclusive to an entrepreneur. All of us as consumers, we have got this incredible responsibility right now to not just vote to vote in an election, but also to vote with every dollar we spend. when you support forward-thinking main brands and small main street businesses in your community. You really are making an incredible impact. There's no way we would be here without you as a, as a consumer.
2: Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap things up than that. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and today and to tell us your story. I think that no matter what people are doing out there, they can listen to your story and take a lot of lessons, just personal lessons on how to respond to adversity from it. And I thank you for stopping by, so to speak, and, and sharing it with us.
0: You're incredibly welcome. I, I thank you for the opportunity to go down memory lane. A lot of it was exciting as it happened. A lot of It was really <laughs> hard to endure, but as I said, I, uh, there is a lot to be learned from the experiences, and I, I enjoy the journey and I enjoy this opportunity. Thank you so much.
1: This has been a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at MainBiz.biz. The day that changed everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Renee Cordes. Will Hall, Maureen Milliken, Allison Nason, Andrea Tetzlaff, and Donna Versard. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. The Main Biz podcast team also thanks Peter Van Allen, Betsy Vanderplug, Ken Hansen for their contributions. Subscribe to the Main Biz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2020.